It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now, from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. My guest today is the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Forrest Richardson. Forrest, as we record this conversation, you've been serving as ASGCA president for just a handful of days. So how does it feel so far? Well, of course, it's an honor and um, it's been busy because of people like you who who have been um, pounding me with questions and things, but I'm getting used to it and, and it is quite an honor. So uh, I, I will make that point very clear. And you've, you've given folks something to think about, and it's going to be the, 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 the large majority of our conversation here today. Uh, but Forrest, you are also the first person who is making a return appearance as a guest on, on our podcast, ASGCA Insights. So let's start by looking back before we look ahead. Uh, back in mid-April when we spoke, uh, you, we were in the early stages of the COVID pandemic here in the United States and across North America. And we were also seeing the first signs of people getting out to play more golf where they were able and when they were able. And six months later, this has certainly continued to the point where tee sheets remain filled from coast to coast. But back in April, you talked about the value of golf course owners and operators and managers working with golf course architects to make course improvements while they could and when they could. Do you still see this increase in work among your fellow ASGCA members? And is that encouragement to the course owners still the same as it was then? The the simple answer is yes. I do think that we've seen um, uh, a fairly robust renovation and remodeling. Um, And of course, who would have thought, you know, going into the COVID situation, we we couldn't predict really what was going to happen. I think I knew inherently that golf was a positive because uh, I had seen a small piece at the USGA Museum on golf's uh, role during the Spanish flu in 1917, 100 years ago. And I immediately recalled that uh, when when we started into this pandemic. And uh, it's turned out to be True for the most part. I mean, the the food and beverage, the restaurants, the banquets, the weddings, the tournaments, the organized events, those things have all, of course, taken a huge hit. But golf play is up. And um, I'm going to further predict that with such heavy play at some courses, there's going to be an even greater need to uh, perhaps look at certain renovation projects in the, in the years to come here, you know, I mean, courses that maybe were doing 30,000 rounds. I've heard some, uh, accounts that the courses are doing, you know, 50,000 rounds, 45,000 rounds. Well, that's a huge difference. And that's going to take its toll on tees could be greens, you know, it could be all the parts of golf courses, bunkers, and, and even cart paths and whatever that, that are get used. So I, I do think there's going to be some good uh, news moving forward with courses that are, and, and the other thing, by the way, is is right now, yes, some courses and clubs are looking to reconfigure outdoor dining to be more uh, COVID friendly, um, and but 
right now we're seeing clubs say, my goodness, the only profit center I have is the actual golf play itself. So if the budgets are kept apart, like they are in many cases, I think you're going to see courses in the coming years look back at the play, whether it's 15, 20, or 30% more during this COVID year. And they're going to say, well, we, we generated so much money on the golf side of things, we now can afford to do that bunker project or the T project or whatever it might be. That was a long answer to your question, but um, it, it, I do see that moving forward and I, and I think it's going to continue. In, in becoming ASGCA president, uh, you have produced a wonderful video uh, that not only discusses your background in the industry, but is very specific in how you see the future of golf course architecture that you called ahead of the game. And I'll just let our listeners know that they can access that video through uh, ASGCA.org uh, under our news section. And it's also uh, obtainable through uh, through YouTube uh, by simply typing in ASGCA in the search bar, uh, and you'll see the Ahead of the Game video uh, posted right there. Uh, but I'd like to highlight a couple of the points that you made in the video and ask you to expound on them, on them for us. Uh, you focused on three directions for your fellow designers. Uh, you called them Keep Thinking, Less is More, and Design the Game. So let's take them individually and keep thinking. Part of your message said our creativity needs to ramp up as we define what a golf course is and what it can be. Exciting stuff is happening across the world, but I'm certain not everything has been done or considered when figuring out how we design golf holes or how these new courses are going to look. Uh, there's a lot there early on, Forrest, uh, but uh, the, the thought of uh, designing new and different holes and how the courses will look uh, is, is a fascinating thought. Well, you, you know, it, there's, I mean, I can expound on, on it. I think that the idea is that we have seen in the last uh, decade some really creative things come from golf course architects all around the world. We've seen uh, reversible courses, compact courses, you know, uh, courses with fewer holes than 18 and no specific number, 13 here, 11 there, 10 over here, 14, whatever. We've seen really engaging putting venues. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer that, um, you know, we need to continue with all of that great work and keep pushing the uh, envelope to come up with these new, fun, different ways of expressing what a golf course is. And, and so that's the, 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 that number one message of mine was really a, a uh, applauding really what, what we've seen come out of, you know, terrific, projects around the world and then saying, let's keep going. Let's not stop. Let's, let's get the momentum and run with it. You mentioned a, a word in, in that answer that I want to come back to here as we look at the, the less is more topic, uh, where you referenced that playing the game does not necessarily rely on hundreds of acres. Uh, you said that model will continue to live on, but we need to plan smaller footprints or even not leave a footprint at all. Uh, we need more flexible courses that can be played in different ways with fewer or shorter holes. The same creativity holds true for practice, whether indoors or out fun is now a part of the program. 
And of course, you can expound on any of that. But the word that jumped out at me was fun. Uh, we've talked uh, with a variety of guests here on ASGCA Insights that there are different words in the dictionary for sport and game. Uh, and I maintain that there's a very small percentage of folks out there, whether you're talking golf or any other activity, uh, who play the sport. Uh, but yet there are 20 million or more folks who are play, who are enjoying the game of golf on an annual basis. Uh, and that fun's an important part, isn't it? Well, I, I've always been a believer in that. I think that, um, uh, you know, my mentor, Jack Snyder, used to drill into me the thought that our job is really to get uh, players to come back. And, um, and that, well, it might be fun to design and create a golf course that is so challenging or so difficult um, or takes so long to play or whatever that, that you, you want to go play it once, but you're never going to come back. Um, that's certainly not the goal of any of us. And, um, and, and the fun is how we get people to come back. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of the concept of scoring success. I think that the average golfer or the enthusiast, player deserves to score well on a golf course and that we should give those opportunities to them. And as, as far as less is more, right. I have given a couple of talks. Um, one was a, a talk years ago with Bill Yates, the pace of play guru, who was a, a great friend of mine. And, you know, Bill made the argument many years ago, I'm going back 15 or so years that, we owe it to golfers to not just sell one size fits all. And, and he used the analogy of a keg of beer. And, uh, you know, if the beer industry only sold beer in kegs, um, imagine, you know, you wouldn't have that many people thinking it was a, uh, easy thing to partake in, but, you know, we, we sell beer in six packs and cases and, if you go to a restaurant or a bar, you can have the 16 ounce or the 12 ounce. And, and if you have a group of people, you can have a pitcher. And so golf is starting to realize that we need to sell different formats of the game to meet different requirements. And, and those really boil down to time. So, and, and I, and, and as far as less is more on the other side of the equation, and again, there's a repetitive theme here, which is beer, which I apologize for up front, but I, I have a, a talk that I give um, talking about the gross daily product in the world from for the last um, uh, 120 years has been, uh, has increased, but with less mass going in to create that GDP. So as an example, a beer can in 1940 weighed so many ounces and it was made of steel and it had seams in it and, and uh, little welded portions and it was a real heavy can. Today, a beer can uh, weighs maybe a tenth of what it did in 1940, but it's stronger, better, et cetera, et cetera. And I think our golf courses need to, to, we need to look at golf courses as to how much are we putting in and how much labor do they take to not only build, but more importantly, to maintain, how big are they? How much land do they require? How much water do they require? Um, how much 
you know, chemistry goes onto the golf course or fertilization and, and all the effort that's, that's in, in, es- in essence, that's the mass going into golf. So by thinking smaller, which doesn't work in every case. Certainly I'm not suggesting that we get rid of the 18 hole golf course, 7,000 or almost 7,000 yards in length, par 72, 71, whatever that model will be here. But I do think that these smaller creative facilities are vital to the future of golf, especially when it comes to time and the inputs that go in, whether, whether those inputs be water labor, um, you name it. Uh, and so this, this is where I think we also need to focus our time is this less is more concept that, that there are ways for golf to be experienced, not just on 150 acres or 200 acres, but even in very small spaces. And, uh, there's lots of creativity, I think that, that can be directed toward that goal. Say that when we are designing a golf course, uh, you are also designing the game and you, you say, does golf only happen when we have clubs and balls or our courses only made up of what we've historically called golf holes. Uh, you suggest that we start asking whether there are not only new ways to play the game, but also questioning the where and the when, and even the who uh, you say, we have the opportunity to ensure that difference will be more fun, more enjoyable, more diverse and inviting. And there's that word again, uh, inviting and fun as well. Well, I, I think that I, I often use the example of the nine-hole golf course in uh, the south of England, Royal Worlington, which is the only Royal nine-hole golf course. Uh, and they play a foursome format there, which is basically four players, two on each team, hitting alternate shots. And that's a totally different game than most Americans are used to. And the benefit of that game is you finish a nine hole round in about an hour, you know, or maybe an hour, 20 minutes or something. So the, the little secret is there's as many members at Royal Whirlington, the nine hole Royal course near Cambridge, as there are at any of the other 18 hole Royal courses. It just is a different game. And if you, if you take that concept and think about it, you know, of course we have match play and stroke play. Um, But I guess what I'm saying is, are there other ways to enjoy a golf course? Um, You know, I've thought of things, you know, on my little journal, I keep, you know, I've thought of things like, you know, could you get kids involved and out onto the golf course by, having them show up with their drones and instead of hitting a ball on a tee, um, have, have an obstacle course with a drone, uh, and maybe it's timed or it's, it's dropping a golf ball accurately within a circle or something like that. A little outside the box, but I think that we owe it to not only our work as golf course architects, but all the owners and the, and, and I just think that the golf course architect is we're, we're the ones with the right brains, so to speak, that have, most of us have either studied with people or even gone through programs, whether it be landscape architecture or some certain sort of design background or aesthetic background, creative background. In some cases, we're the people that could come up with 
new ways to experience golf courses. And, and, and maybe it is clubs and balls. Maybe it's a different kind of ball. Maybe it's a different kind of club. Maybe it's a different way of, of, of uh, the trajectory of the ball, meaning the, uh, making the, the ball. Uh, I've always been entertained by the, the, some disabled uh, golfers who are not able to swing. Um, I can't remember the name of the device, but they use like a, like a cannon, you know, to, to shoot the ball. And maybe that could be fun. Maybe it would be different. Maybe there, and, and, you know, these are things that um, one of our members, Bill Boswell, has created nature trails golf, which is an exciting idea where you just basically create a golf course in the forest or the woods or the, you know, the prairie. And, um, and, and you don't really put out, you, you just create this little golf course with very little maintenance. But I think the ideas can keep flowing. And so that's what I mean by designing the game is really um, pushing the envelope even further and, and maybe looking back and saying, well, gee, the game has really evolved in 400 years. Um, and what is what could we be doing uh, for the next you know, several decades? Are we really thinking outside the box, uh, not just with the course, but with the game? And as you think about it and listening to you talk about this, if you look back 100 years, 150 years, uh, those designers that, that we hold in such high esteem today uh, were really asking themselves that same question in their day, weren't they? I think they were. And, and also, I think it's important to keep in mind that the golf course architect really came about in the concept of a of, of someone who was going to actually design a golf hole or a course came about as the result of the formalization of, of St. Andrews when they decided to make certain improvements. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? That our profession for the first uh, majority of the, the uh, history of golf, did, there, there was no such thing as a golf course architect. So, um, I don't think our profession can remain static if, if we think that we're going to continue simply going forward, designing golf courses as we know them today, even with some creativity in the sizing or the alternative formats of the courses. I think that, um, I think that we're maybe missing an opportunity. Technology is such a huge part of the game now. And, and uh, gaming, you know, I mean, I, I'm struck by the statistic that I believe I'm right about this or I'm close. If I'm not, uh, people probably won't look it up anyway, so I'll go ahead and say it. But I think that the number of viewers of the electronic gaming equivalent of the Masters had viewership of like 10 to 15 times the Masters golf tournament. So for us to say that gaming and electronic appreciation of, of games such as the electronic golf games are not important in the future. I don't think we can say that more, more people worldwide are partaking in electronic online sports, if you will, uh, in games, um, more and more it, it's growing. And I think golf architects could have a role in that. Again, I'm not saying that's a replacement for fresh air and, exercise and the camaraderie of being outdoors with people. I'm not saying that at all, 
but it's another part of the game that could have fascinating consequences. And then the technology, um, I mean, nowadays on my smartphone, I mean, think, you know, yardage books are, are valuable, but I can get more information on my smartphone on a golf course. And, and that's a fascinating thing uh, to, to think about. And so what's the next technology going to mean for golf course architects? And, and uh, there's, I think there's all sorts of opportunities. It's, it's just takes a creative, creative mind. And that's where I think the golf architects can excel. You've obviously spent a, a lot of time traveling and studying, and uh, of course, your role on the, the USGA Historical Committee for a number of years. Uh, if you could have a conversation with one or two architects uh, that you never met, uh, that, as you look back historically, uh, who would you want to sit down and 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 uh, chew a conversation over with? Well, that's a good question. I think that Tillinghast, because his writing was so fascinating. Um, and then Robert Hunter, without a doubt, because um, I, I hold the distinction of really working on the only solo design of Robert Hunter, which was Berkeley Country Club. And I, I, I think that Hunter was such a great writer. I also think that um, uh, he was, you know, he was passionate about the game and, and whatever. Um, but I, I, the reason I mentioned Tillinghast is because he was just known for being so creative in his work and his writing. And, you know, he wasn't afraid of outlandish ideas like the Island green and the bumps of, of turf, uh, rough kind of, you know, like cabbage patch rough that, that he proposed even in the middle of greens or on the edges of greens or, things that, you know, he, he was a believer that ha- uh, trees could be a hazard and that, and that um, moats and things like that, you know, like, like, you know, burns or, or canals and stuff and ditches could be a part of, of hazards. And, um, and I, I think that he uh, would probably be a fascinating person to um, number one, see what was going on today and to, uh, you know, get his take on, things that could be even more fascinating and fun. Cause I think that was another part of his, his uh, message was you know, that the golf course should provide interest. He might not have used the word fun. Uh, I, I'll bet he probably did, but he, I think he was more, the golf course should be intriguing and fascinating and it should um, tempt you and bring you back and give you joy and that, that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with uh, with somebody walking off the final green feeling that, that with that feeling of joy and wanting to come back. That's a that's a pretty good legacy to walk off of any course with. I agree. I agree. I think again that gets back to scoring success, um, and and the idea that uh, uh, that you know that we we should. I I'm maybe a long time ago when I started my career. I had the position that a par five hole, for example, should really not be able to be eagled that often, only in a rare, rare, rare circumstance. But I think now I'm thinking that, you know, the, the, the three shot hole, um, as an example, I think it's kind of fun for even the average golfer to have the potential to get close to that green in two shots 
with the chance of maybe draining a, a chip or a, a short pitch or even a putt. I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, who, who doesn't want to go back and play the course that they got an Eagle on? Um, I have had very few in my life, but the ones that I've had, I can remember where I was and, and, uh, because they're, you know, for an average player like me, Eagles are pretty rare. I'd like more of them, I guess. I agree with you. I like that. Well, for, for all of us high handicappers out there, uh, keep, keep, uh, keep that thought in mind on the next project that you work on, please. Uh, my guest has been ASGCA president, Forrest Richardson. Uh, Forrest, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. That concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at ASGCA.org or download insights from Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And once again, the video that Forrest has recently produced called The Head of the Game can be found at ASGCA.org or on YouTube by simply searching ASGCA. Thank you for listening, and until next time, so long.